0: Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I am joined today by Josh Koch. Josh is a competitive world long driver and currently is the number three long driver in the world after a run of very consistent results with several runners up and a win in a tournament in Germany this season. Josh and I have worked together now for a while, and he has made an incredible comeback from a very significant injury. And he shares what he's learned over the past 18 months since the last time he was on the podcast to return to his prior level performance and what he's learned on how to use the gym, how to use 3D motion analysis, and changes that he's made to his routine to help him see this success. This is a great episode if you're at all interested in golf uh, but it's also really good if you are an athlete that's overcoming an injury or play another rotational power sport like world long drive um, to learn how these guys maximize their bodies in the gym and their recovery to hit speeds that are very rarely seen in other sports. So fascinating interview with Josh there. I hope you guys enjoy What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm do- joined today by now currently number three world-long driver in the world, Josh Koch. And he's just freshly back in town from a runner-up finish in uh, from Canada last week. So, Josh, thanks for setting aside a little bit of time to talk about just absolutely mashing golf balls today. Yeah, of
1: course. Anything for you, my friend. <laughs>
0: so, I think last time we recorded a podcast was maybe like, 18-ish months ago, give or take, you were down in Florida. I think you were on the road to, uh, to do a lesson or some type of outing. Um, you were in the midst of like kind of battling back from a neck injury. I, I believe you were, you were definitely hitting. I'm not sure if you competed yet or not, um, but you were not all the way yourself. So could you kind of fill anyone that hasn't listened to the previous episode, like what happened with your neck and, and kind of where you're at now?
1: Yeah. So going back to, that would have been, I think 2021. So I was having a really good year and about a third of the way through the year, I ended up rupturing a disc in my neck and it got to the point where I had uh, some nerve damage down my arm. And if my arm was inoperable at the time, so uh, I had a couple of doctors recommend disc replacement in my neck. And that was a very scary thing for me. Uh, I was 31 at the time and you know when you start to look at cutting the body you, you know you don't know once you start to change it if if things will return back to where they were from a from a structure standpoint not to mention when you talk about disc replacement, you know doing something at the speeds that we do those aren't tested at high speeds right yes. so you're like i don't know if i'm going to have this surgery you know which one there was a risk of losing my my voice because uh, of where they needed to cut and then two, you don't know if you're going to have the surgery, and then you take one swing and you're going to blow this thing out of your neck. So uh, I try to hold off as long as I can. Initially, the doctors gave me like a two day window. They're like, "We need you in 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 surgery on Monday," and this was a Friday. And a lot of that was because the nerve was not functioning at the time. So they were their biggest concern was making sure that they protected the nerve. Um, a couple of other doctors gave me eight week windows and eventually i started to see some relief you know in that five six seven um week window where i took a gamble and i was like i'm gonna hold off on this and and you know hopefully and unfortunately it paid off
0: yeah no for sure what was it like going through the rehab process like i mean what did you you've always been pretty in tune with your body mm-hmm. um but what did you learn going through recovering from that
1: yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you go through that, you're, you're just kind of in limbo, right? I think that's the, the was the hardest part of, of going through an injury because you're like, do I have surgery? Do I not? Uh, do I rehab it? So, I've been one, as you know, who's not afraid of asking questions. Yeah. So, I basically tapped into my network of everyone under the sun from – you know guys like Dan Hellman to Dr. Greg Rose at TPI and, and Jason Zuback's a really good close friend of mine who's kind of even closer connected to all those guys and and just started asking questions and um, eventually that led me down to Dan Hellman who um, was uh, the physical therapist for Tiger for years. People, I don't know too many people know that. And uh, he got me started on some LDOA stuff, which was great. I I thought that really helped. Um, You know, in the process of starting that, I started to learn more about the body as far as certain posture stuff. And then eventually led to um, getting in touch with a friend of mine, Barrett Stover, who had some posture posture restoration stuff, Uh, posture restoration background. And that was, that was huge. And eventually when we started chatting, I started to realize that that was a world that you dove deep into, and then we, we took it another, another notch up. So, um, you know, I think through that process of, of getting injured and then learning from all of these, these great minds, um, my understanding and knowledge of the body became better. And so everything from preparation to understanding what pisses it off, you know, obviously I'm not fully in the clear. I still battle some of the symptoms that I had, but I I understand how to manage it better, I think. And then also like just understanding the mechanics of the swing, like this knowledge of the body helped me go that much further with a swing.
0: Yeah, no, and I think it's a really good point. It's just something that, especially with pro athletes, but I mean, really- even high school athletes, like we really encourage people to learn and be an advocate for yourself. Like don't just walk into a doctor's office and say, yes, like ask questions, make sure you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable, go ask someone else, see what they say. And you're not, you're not stepping on anyone's toes. Like I always say, from my perspective, I'm very comfortable with what we do and I can explain exactly why we do it. And I have no issue if someone wants to go get a second opinion because I would have no, I'm like, great. I'll I'll send anything over. I'll explain exactly what we did and why and what we saw. And like I I get more nervous for like working with medical professionals that are like, oh, no, you like I'm I'm offended that you wanted to ask or get a second opinion or something. Yeah. So you're like, well, that that's like sort of shady. It's like you shouldn't be shouldn't be an issue. So right. I think learning and like getting involved in your own care and being an active part of your own care is super
1: important yeah i think too like at the end of the day you always are going to have your best interest in mind right you don't know what some what some someone's motives are for behind right you know you don't know if, if a doctor's got a boat payment coming up you know <laughs> i don't mean that in a bad way uh, you know there's a lot of really um, good doctors out there and, and i think that the guys that i consulted with had my best interest in mind from a sports performance standpoint of Potentially returning back to the level I was competing at before, um but you know at the end of the day, I wanted to kind of take ownership of this and 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 whether it worked out or it didn't, I wanted that to be on me
0: yeah no, I think that's I think that's great and just a really good message for people. I also am curious to dive into because we talk about the return to play process is it's not like a light switch it's not like one day you're hurt, and the next day you're back competing and at your prior level um and so what we talk about is there's like three stages there's return to participation when you are hitting you're doing your maybe your normal drill work but you're not even really competing yet Mm -hmm. then there's the return to play stage which for you you're you're back on a grid you're actually hitting balls in competition Mm -hmm. but you were a champion before you've won events right and um, once you're in that return to play stage that does not mean that you've returned to performance and then that last stage is like, can you actually get back there? And so I think what's really cool about your story for people that may don't follow world long drive is you, you competed last year, fall ago. I don't think you missed a, I don't believe you missed a single event for an injury, so you were, you were out there and some people would look at you and say, like, you had a, you had a good year, like you qualified for the world championships, right? But I don't think you won any events. Um, you maybe had a couple of runners up, mm-hmm. your ball speeds were way down from where you were at your absolute peak, so you were firmly in that. I'm competing, I'm on a grid, but I am not meeting my expectations of performance. Yeah. So I'd be curious, like, what your what that last year was like for you, yeah. um, and what it was like to go through that process.
1: Yeah, I think there there were so many factors that went in the last year. You know, one obviously with with COVID, world long drive, um, it, we had a rough stretch. You know, uh, everything got pulled from TV, sponsors went away. So the, the one, there wasn't that much money in the sport. So you always have that, you know, the financial component of it. So you're looking at these events and you're going, okay, well, I could go make money doing charity events or corporate events. And now you're out chasing these, these events and you're wearing yourself down. So from a, a performance and prep standpoint, you know, that wasn't there hundred um, percent. I, I think also, as you mentioned too, once you step in the arena, not actually trusting your body is one of the hardest things out there, right? Because you're not going to be able to let go. You're not going to be able to kind of tap into your instinct in the back of your mind. You're always going to be worried about: Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to take a swing and and uh, you know blow that disc out even worse? Uh, you, you know, just the overall readiness. How I felt, I felt awful. You know, I as I mentioned to being able to manage the neck better now. You know, I'd fly to a vent, sit on an airplane for five hours, get out, and my arm would be numb, right? So. There was a learning curve to figuring out, all right, I can't do the things I used to do. I got to readjust. And um, as you said, you know, when you get to a high level of anything, you know, in terms of uh, with us, club speed, ball speed, and you start to regress, it's very unfulfilling. So mentally, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, I I didn't want to be there type thing. I I did, but I didn't, right, because you're showing up, you're like, you know yeah i can compete but i don't have the confidence that i had the year before i was showing up the year before expecting to win right. and so that's that's a hard pill to swallow especially you know being 32 years old knowing that at some point you know I, i'm on the later end of my my athletic career so you know it just there's a lot of mixed emotions and and that's where um you, you know uh, i felt like i started to change some things later in the season the problem was it was too late, you know, and we talked about that last summer. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, I knew I wanted to compete at a high level again. I knew that I had to make some changes and it started the second, the end, the season ended, I I had to create a plan and stick to it. And, you know, fortunately I had some really good people like yourself around me that have helped me manage that process. And, um, you know, I believe in a team more now than ever.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And that's kind of what I wanted to dive into. I just, I think it's just so helpful for people. And again, I think a lot of high school athletes and college athletes listen to this podcast and we see them go through injury and they just expect like, um, I think culture and society in general, whether you're watching the NFL on TV, it's like, oh, can you play or can you not play? And if you can play, we just like expect you to do the things that you were Mm -hmm. doing before. And it's like, it's just not that linear and like that's what i just i love um sharing stories of people like yourself where it's kind of went through like yeah i was out there i was doing it but like i wasn't really doing it and um, just good perspective that it takes time so Mm -hmm. diving into what you changed a little bit because i i'm going to be curious to get your perspective because i have some uh I have some perspective from my end on like what I think you changed, but I think there was some changes in what you did training wise. I want to dive into and what you felt like, but then from my perspective, I think one of the biggest things that you did was going and doing the 3d assessment of your swing. Cause I think you and I both kind of kept talking about like, yeah, your strength was down your power wasn't maybe quite where it was, but like, it wasn't correlating as well to like, why you weren't seeing the performance Mm -hmm. in your sport that you wanted. So, maybe let's start there like what did why what made you go get the 3d swing assessment and mm-hmm. what did you learn by going through that process
1: yeah as, i mean as i mentioned like you know getting to um to put some metrics on it in in 2021 i got up to 157 miles an hour on a track man 227 mile an hour ball speed right so you, you, when that happens you pull from some of the feels. right there's certain things around it that you can associate with that time period and after injury, it just didn't feel the same. Um, I described it as it felt like I was losing tension through my swing. And you, like I said, when you get to an elite level of anything, you know when something's not far, right? So obviously, you know, in the golf world, we do a lot of video analysis looking at swings from a two-dimensional standpoint. But the reality is there's, there's only so much you can see from that. So uh, one of the things we did earlier in the year was I went and got measured, um, on 3d from a good friend of mine, John Sinclair down in Texas, uh, using a system called AMM, which is what they use over at TPI. Uh, to my knowledge, it's one of the most accurate systems out there, whatever. Um, but immediately we started to see a leak and 100% was directly correlated to the neck injury. And, but I think being able to, to quantify that and identify a low-hanging fruit gave me the ability to create a plan around it. Um, as I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast, being in limbo was one of the worst things. So having a plan and, and kind of getting a sense of direction was something that was really good for me.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's so important. I mean, we talk about it with whether it be golfers or we see a lot of pitchers, as you know, and like we always recommend that pitchers work with throwing coaches, like actual pitching coaches on technique where coming back. And a lot of times parents will be like, oh, well, is it because their mechanics cause their injury? And I'm like, well, it's it's really not that simple. But from my perspective, and I think, again, your story illustrated this, there's, there's changes, like your body's not dumb when stuff hurts or when your brain's scared of certain movements or things and like not trusting, like it's going to make changes mm-hmm. to change stress. And often those aren't the most efficient ways to right. do it. So you're either putting stress somewhere else and dealing with different injuries or – you're just not seeing the performance that you wanted. Right. So, no, I think, I think that's um, interesting. And when you get the physical stuff in line, you match it up on the skill side. And obviously you're a swing coach, you have a whole website and instructional philosophy around how to hit the golf ball far. So you know what you're talking about. It's like, you're the perfect example. We give you, if we arm you with the information, you can kind of go self-organize and figure out around that, how to correct it.
1: Yeah. And I think even myself, you know, I, I, I consider myself decently knowledgeable and I know my swing the best. I've been, you know, I've dealt with it for 33 years now. And, you know, even some of the things I was seeing on camera, that weren't quite matching up. And that's where, when we got the 3d, we were actually able to see that what I was seeing uh, was not what was actually happening which I have no problem admitting right. um, because it, it's it's hard to see it doesn't mean you're a bad coach or anything sometimes you know it's the same reason doctors get MRIs and yeah. a radiologist reads the report and then you know you take that report to different doctors you might have different opinions of what the solution is going to be but at least you're you're measuring it and and making a better guess uh, with some hard data, yeah, no, for
0: sure. Um, I think it's super important, and honestly, one of the biggest biggest things that's resulted in improvements in actual on grid performance for you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the training. So, mm-hmm. what, from your perspective, what have you kind of tweaked or changed in terms of how you've approached or gone about
1: the like physical training for long drive over the past year? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the hardest things that um, for years I couldn't quite figure out the the right routine and process in terms of how to make sure you get the the right amount of training in, um, but also get your work from a from a hitting standpoint. and And for years, I did a horrible job of managing that. Um, and you know, a, a lot of it was you know we compete in kind of a weird sport, right? It's 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 an explosive sport, but there's also an, an endurance component to it as well um so years i just so so for years i just struggled at with managing that and i think um in this last year starting with the off season it's just been you know for the exception of a little tweak in my my hip that kind of set me back a few weeks the way the off season was periodized and managed into the into the season and then you know, also dealing with curveballs, you know, you get a canceled flight and now you can't travel or schedules are changing or you didn't sleep well one night, right? Because you got two crying kids at home, right? The What I've learned is just you got to be really fluid um, and adjust on the fly, but the general structure of a plan uh, needs to be there and it has been and, and I'm, it's just made a big difference for me.
0: Yeah. No, and I think um, I've been able to tell over the course of the year, like kind of the biggest thing we've, you know, I've done is just like get you to learn how to stack stress together so that you get more time to recover Mm -hmm. and then like prioritize your speed work. And I think I've been able to tell that you, you've really figured out how it all works because, you know, three, four months ago, it'd be like, you'd send me, you just send me your schedule and I would send you, okay, here's what I think we should do, like if this is kind of your event schedule, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then now, like yesterday, it's like you texted me with, okay, I'm going to hit this day, so I think I'm going to do this workout on this day, this workout on that day. And you're kind of like you've you've learned and been able to really, again, become like an educated athlete and an advocate for yourself of like how do you put these things together mm-hmm. so that we train your body without fatiguing you and detracting from speed. Yeah, um, Because ultimately in your sport, there's no – there's no, like, asterisks that, like, this guy hit the ball 415 yards, but he got five bonus yards because he deadlifts 500 pounds. Yeah. Like, it's just how far can you get the ball to go?
1: Yeah, and, and I think, too, like, I mean, I'm, I I love working out, right? I mean, like, <laughs> if anything, like, I almost feel like I'm not doing enough, but that's good. I mean, from a performance standpoint, I've learned that, you know, being arrested and, and primed is is – the best thing for me going into these events. And that's, that's why the, the off season is so important, right? You you have a window of three to five months where you really have to get your work in. Um, and then, you know, once you get to season, it's, it's really about maintaining more than ever anything. And, and so that's, um, you know, kind of what we do. I wish I could be in the gym every day, but I've just learned from a performance standpoint that's not going to work. You know, you talk about stacking stress in a twenty-four hour window. That's been huge. You know, because yeah. I can get a speed workout and a, a leg workout done, and now you know that gives me six more days to to plan my week. I think also, um, you know, back in the day I would lift weights before I'd hit, and that's no longer a thing. Like I've I've basically um, hate training before i hit balls now you know that's switched where my training now happens after and uh but yeah it's just been been huge you know um the steps the the learning process that i've gone through as you mentioned i mean comparably and i'll kind of poke some fun at myself relative to some of these guys on the tour there's some beasts out there and they could lift a house and (laughs) put me to shame in a gym but you know i think like Uh, one advantage that I have over a lot of these guys is the prep and, um, you know, how, how I manage my body. Martin gives me crap for it, (laughs) but, you know, I said, just wait, just wait till, uh, your body starts feeling like crap. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you make, you gotta make some adjustments along the way. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I feel really good. I think with where we're at in the season, you know, I've had a really, really good year, A, a win, two seconds, two thirds through seven events, which is phenomenal, um, and I think this is the point in the season historically where I started to run on of gas. And that's where, uh, for me, it typically is more in the strength side of things. I think, you know, with all the hitting we're doing, we're getting a lot of explosive work in, but for me, it's just making sure that we keep, you know, strength up. And, uh you know, into these last couple of months, because this this is where you start to see guys breaking down. And even this last event in Canada, guys were moaning and groaning, you know, because everyone's tired. And we had a f- three or four events in a five week stretch. And, you know, this is where having a good plan is going to separate certain individuals.
0: Yeah. No, I think, I mean, you just mentioned it in your results. Like the consistency is an element of like, if you were to tell me I just had to hit hard one, like, Let's even take the Olympics. I mean, it's a little different. Like, let's say long drive was an Olympic sport. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, They're talking about it, by the way.
0: Yeah, but so you know, if, if they did, I mean, there's more than just it's not it's more than one single day. There's qualifying and stuff, but you basically have four years to peak for one weekend. Yeah, <laughs> like if you're a, if you're an Olympic sprinter, you know, or you have World Championships once a year. And everything else is about that. But if you're like, yeah, I just need to perform once a year. I think lots of people could do that. Mm -hmm. But when you're like, I mean, you guys it's every two weeks and we've gotten into a good rhythm here where like you kind of come back, you don't feel very good like today after an event over the weekend. Right. But we, we just kind of train through it for a week. Next week we get faster. We send you out like not fatigued, well recovered with your work done. And like, you're then able to go out and actually perform. In the arena of your sport, mm-hmm. which is what what makes a difference. Right. I also think with people, you know, tell Martin if he's giving you a hard time. It's, I, I'm a big fan of there's, there's a, there's like a life cycle of athletic careers and there gets to be a time. And I know you still have goals of like breaking through the 230 barrier mm-hmm. and maybe making We're a close. run. Yeah. Maybe making a run at, at the new ball speed record, things like that. But there gets to be a point where it's like, the chasing improved performance and maintaining career longevity don't always go hand in hand. And once you're a professional athlete that's like collecting paychecks for certain things, there comes a point that's like maybe it's not trying to peak more. And it's like how much longer, like every year that we can extend a career is.
1: That's a good point. I mean, going back to the ball speed conversation. Um, you know, I, I told Michael my my goal was to hit 230 miles an hour, which at the time I said that there was, I think, one or two guys that actually accomplished that. And more guys started to do it this offseason. I think the number's up to six or seven now. And then one guy hits 240, right? And he's 22 years old, six seven. So, you know, I think when, when we look at that 240 number, it's not something I care about as much. You know, in my mind, I'm like... <laughs> That's a pretty f- big feat. I don't know if I'm I'll be capable of doing that. I think 230 is definitely in the cards. Um and actually this year, uh, you know, I, I was able to get back to my that 227 number right. back in May, um, which was a, a really good time because um I felt like uh, after May is when things got really busy, so you know everyone started slowing down a little bit. Um, but it was good to see that. It was good to see that you know I'm uh, I'm back in that range. I think um, you know. Do I feel 100% back to where I was? No, but I feel like I'm really close, and I feel like the plan that's in place is is just inching me every day closer back to that that top that top gear that I was at before. So. Yeah.
0: No, I think um, I think that's awesome. One more question kind of deeper before we start to start to wrap this up a little bit. um so I'm just always curious talking to high level performers about making swing changes mm-hmm. because whether you play golf or you play baseball or another like motor skill sport mm-hmm. right like we can't just take the best athlete in the world and give them a long drive club and they can't go hit two thirty like mm-hmm. there's high levels of technique, so you found an energy leak in your in your 3d assessment you're going to make a change to your swing what is your process like to make an actual mechanical adjustment from a learning standpoint like how do i get this change in and then start to apply it to where i can actually go swing a club at 150 miles an hour and mm-hmm. get this to translate into that swing.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it depends on the, where someone's at in their career. So if you had asked me that question in, in college, I would have said probably more video work, more, um, you know, gaining awareness of, of what your fields are actually producing. So that proprioceptive awareness, but I, I feel like at this point in, in where I'm at today, you know pretty much what i my my sense of feel is very good as to what it what it's creating so you know first thing you always have to respect as you get later into someone's life is is what their their national dna looks like right like historically i've always kind of had a, a certain trigger and um i've learned the hard way when you start to change some of that stuff some of those key things it could go the opposite way uh, so you know making sure that you respect your DNA, I always like to make changes earlier in an off season away from competition because you, you always kind of know what makes you tick in competition, right? so I, I've always I've had the same kind of two or three thoughts since I've started um, competing. The details around that have shifted a little bit. But that being said, when I make a change, it has to to kind of, marry up nicely with with what I'm comfortable with and typically you know I'm someone who likes to you know work with different tools uh, different training aids uh, a lot of sequencing work so for me sequencing work is is huge in the, in the change process because for me what it does is it, it it's providing my brain a roadmap so that when I actually do step on the gas um, my body is very familiar with firing in the appropriate order. So I would say, you know, the combination of, of using very whippy tools, doing a ton of sequencing work where, you know, it's just you, a uh, training aid and in front of a mirror, um, and then, and then testing it, right. Seeing if it actually, what you're feeling or what you're changing breaks down. And that's the cool thing about what I've learned from long drive as it relates to golf is when we actually do get into speed stuff, uh, it's a good way to test. Um, if what you're working on is going to hold up or not, uh, if you're, if you got some crazy thing, you know, And, and over the years, I have some of the stuff I've tried, it, you know, I look back on it, it's laughable, but let's just say you were trying something in your swing that was physically impossible to do at high speeds. The second you go into your speed training, you'll quickly realize that, Hey, I got to scrap that idea and go back to the drawing world, uh, drawing board and figure out a new way to uh, fix whatever you're trying to trying to fix
0: yeah no i think i think the objective feedback piece is something that i've learned a lot from you in my own golf game too but uh, makes so much sense sense from a motor learning standpoint and you you play a sport that i mean more or less is by the numbers that like there's pretty it's just physics at a certain standpoint Mm -hmm. and then like can you consistently land balls in a grid Mm -hmm. at at those things and so it's great
1: to be able to just like track that and have that feedback like this worked no one did not yeah and i think too like being able to quantify stuff you know obviously speed for the most part is is a byproduct of efficiency right so you know being able to to throw down a trackman or a gc quad and, and physically or not physically but you know quantitatively being able to say yeah that's working or hey that's not working um is huge i think And I can tell you that I would not be where I am today if I didn't have access to a Trackman or a quad along the way. Um, And I know (laughs) that's obviously, from a golfing standpoint, a a decent investment. Not everyone has the resources. Um, But the good news is, like, there are a lot of cheaper launch monitors nowadays. Um, You know, there's a lot of Trackman studios that are popping up, which never existed before. Um, At the end of the day you know, you got to do what you got to do to get to where you want to go to.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Well, I just a couple of fun, uh, fun little questions for people to uh, get to know you a little bit better. Um So what's the, the, so this is my first learning experience with working with long drivers was not to ask you how far you've hit a ball yeah. <laughs> um because there's so many variables that go yeah. into that. Um, so what's, you already kind of said, best club head speed was two, it was 157. 157, yep. And then ball speed was 227 and then-
1: 227, yeah. So um, 227 was back in uh, 2021. And then we hit it again this, this year in Germany yeah. in competition. So that was cool.
0: That's awesome. But for fun, what is the longest ball that you hit in competition?
1: 496. So that is the uh, current world long drive record with you know 48 shafts and uh, legal equipment to my knowledge yeah uh, I, and so, um, yeah, that was, that was cool. That was in, in Denver last year. So we had a little altitude, but you know, at the end of the Hitting day. Hitting
0: something five football fields.. Yeah. is <laughs> it's pretty impressive. And I just really want to know, like, why'd you lay up and not go over 500? Yeah, you know? it would like- trust me. I least sleep over
1: it every night. There was a, a nice little bonus at 500. So, uh, my wife gives, gives me crap about that to this day. Um, okay. How far could you hit a putter? Over three hundred, I think like <laughs> three thirty is is the furthest. Yeah, that's that's usually my uh, go to party trick. So uh, you know, you, you, we hit a hit an old two ball odyssey. It's about thirty four inches, and you know, if you catch it right, it's it's a low bullet, probably lands about two ninety, and just <laughs> takes off. So that's that's fun. Funny,
0: <laughs> the, I'm going to bring you in my next like one club challenge. You're yeah. going to get the
1: putter. <laughs> Funny thing is, if if me and Martin want to film a video. It, hitting, uh, playing nine holes and hitting putters off the tee box. will probably honestly probably keep it in play better than <laughs> if we would with a driver. So, um, so yeah, that would be fun that'd to be, mess with.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, all right. If you get to pick a walk-up song before you hit in the finals, what would your walk-up song be? That's a good question.
1: Um, I think it just depends on, uh, dep- depends on, uh, Kind of the current mood. I, I it's got to be quick. It's got to be you know something that gets you going fast. I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. I'll have to get back on okay. that one.
0: Yeah, no, no worries. It's a, it's a tough one. They, uh, I think that would be awesome though. If you guys got to DJ your own, uh, your own flavor. We were
1: supposed to do it in Germany this year, so that was, uh, that was going to be fun. And then I think they ran into some logistical issues or TV rights issues with yeah. audio and. Makes sense. And so that was that was fun. I once, like, once I, the lawyers get involved, yeah. <laughs> All the
0: entertainment. Yeah, no, fun. I had
1: a couple of good ones picked. A couple of uh, there was a. Uh, the uh, the current local team where we at Hanover, um, I had their their local football team as nice. as they call it their theme, their song. theme song. So I yeah. was trying to work the crowd that a little bit, really get the crowd going. So uh, you know, I think I think anything to kind of get you going and, yeah. and get the crowd going is is what it would take. So
0: so you talk a lot about whether it be in competition or even in your speed training sessions, the need to go into psycho mode. Mm-hmm. So what's your key or what is psycho mode and how do you how do you get yourself to access like that next level of speed
1: yeah psycho mode is a dark place so uh, it's it's kind of funny um over the years in the long drive world um i always seem to turn it on in the match play as you've started to kind of notice now um you know i'll, I'll kind of just chip my way through a tournament and then once i get to the end i just i i kind of empty the tank in terms of um you know, uh, in terms of intensity. And it's a really important part of speed training for us, um, or anything really, I think intent is really, really important. So, you know, I call it going to a dark, dark place, but you know, at the end of the day, it in- involves, uh, consuming some caffeine. And for me, historically, I've always, uh, just kind of use, use fuel to people that have ever doubted me or things that have pissed me off over the years. And, you know, um, use that to just really get myself going. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, you just, just got to get to a place where <laughs> you're, uh, almost out of control of, of the normal state of being. And then and, and for speed, it's great. Right. Cause that's, that's the key you know, for a while we were <laughs> consuming bang energy drinks and C4 and all of that stuff. But we've, I've out of conservation of my health and my heart, we've <laughs> tried to try to back off of that a little bit. But, um, you know, I think big thing around intensity um, is, is making sure that the recovery is on point. What I've realized is, um, you know, the recovery allows you to get your intensity up and and that's where having two young kids at home i've really 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 tried to put emphasis on sleep um you know to the best of my ability and making sure that when it when there are days where i need to speed train i want to make sure that mentally and physically i'm a hundred percent there because if not it's going to be very hard and, and there are days where i wake up and feel like crap and you know, my attempt at getting to psycho mode is visibly not there. So as there are days I'm not afraid to postpone that, right? I yeah. think, um, you know, uh, going back to making adjustments on the fly, I think that's been huge yeah. and, and something that I've learned in the speed process.
0: Yeah. Having, having your plans written in pencil, not pen. Exactly. To change them. No, that's awesome. Um, well, where online can people learn more about you and kind of follow along with with what you've got going on from a swing instruction standpoint, and or to to watch some world long drive if you've never caught a event before.
1: Yeah, so Instagram Josh Grabs Golf try to post a couple of tips every week. Uh, we got the hip Bombs YouTube page going, so you could check us out on YouTube. HitBombs.com is is where uh, we have uh, what I call the one hundred fifty mile an hour blueprint. So um, what I try to do was take the, the steps that I thought were really important in getting to 150 miles an hour in my journey and lay them out into um, an organized educational format online that allows people to learn and then have drills to sort of take the same process. Um, it's something we're continually updating. We're trying to, uh, you know, get uh, the fitness side on there. Martin Borgmeier is now on there with the speed stuff. He's very good at that stuff. And... Um, and then lastly obviously world long drive the uh, the tour was picked up again this year by world long drive so we had a group out of new york that purchased it gs sports and entertainment and we are back on tv so we had a, a televised event this year in germany in bay which is i won that was awesome and then we have uh, three to finish the year off uh, tennessee oceanside and then our world championship is in uh, atlanta georgia and they are going to have bedding this year there so you uh you can place your odds
0: <laughs> get some get some nuggets yeah, on uh, yeah. get some
1: nuggies on josh Kosh yeah. for if the win money i want 10 percent. <laughs> if you don't i'm sorry <laughs> um so yeah so that will be that will be fun you know obviously we're, guys are getting drug tested now as i mentioned to you nothing i have to worry about but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that process plays out and if some guys get dinged or not but um but yeah i'm i'm happy i'm, I'm at a good place mentally i uh you know, this year it was a gamble to say no to some of the money, you know, at some of these outings and corporate days in an effort to perform better. And, um, you know, just trying to stick to the plan and finish the year all strong.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share some of your experience with us. And, uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Are you a golfer that wants to try to gain club head speed and prevent injuries? One of the easiest things you can do is do an active warmup before you start hitting golf balls or playing your round. This has been shown in the research to help improve club head speed, as well as reduce your risk of both acute and overuse injuries while playing golf. If you're interested in learning more, we have a free golf active warmup that you can download if you check out the link in the show notes for this episode. Head over there, download it, and let us know if it helps you hit it farther and feel better while you play.